Would you pray with me? O God, source of all light, by your word you give light to the soul. Pour out upon us the spirit of wisdom and understanding, that our hearts and minds may be opened to know your truth and your way, revealed to us in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 22 through 35. Hear the word of the Lord. They came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, He asked him, can you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he looked intently, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him away to his home, saying, do not even go into the village. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel We'll save it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So how's your vision doing these days? I'm not talking about your eyesight. I'm talking about your vision. How well are you able to see the truth? The truth in your life? The truth in our world? The truth... In the gospel? Certainly, it is so hard these days to see through all the media glitz and propaganda to any semblance of reality. But there is no reality more important for us to see clearly than the truth about Jesus Christ. For if we get that wrong, we get everything else wrong as well. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me, 
that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus the Messiah. Amen. In our text this morning, we find Jesus and his disciples in the town of Bethsaida, which was on the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. Here we have this very unusual story about Jesus healing a blind man. Sort of. First, Jesus rubs spit in the man's eyes, and then he lays his hands on top of them, and he asks the man, can you see anything? The man says, well, it's pretty blurry. I I can see people, but they kind of look like walking trees. And Jesus then has to lay his hands on the man's eyes a second time before he is able to see clearly. This is the only time in all four Gospels where it takes Jesus two attempts to heal someone. What's up with that? Is Jesus just losing his touch? Or maybe he's just, he's just really tired and worn out. Or maybe some forms of blindness are just so stubborn that they take one, more than one whack at it to clear them up. And maybe Mark is setting us up. For you see, in the Gospel of Mark, physical sight is a metaphor for spiritual understanding. And maybe Mark is trying to tell us something about the disciples' understanding of Jesus. And as we go on in our text, we discover that though the disciples may have eyes to see, their vision still needs quite a bit of work. So Jesus then leads his disciples up north to the town of Caesarea Philippi, which is about as far away as you could get from Jerusalem and still be in Israel. Now, Caesarea Philippi was an ancient center of Canaanite Baal worship, as well as the site of a shrine to the Greek nature god Pan. Herod the Great had also built there a magnificent temple to Caesar so that he might be worshipped there as a god. And Herod's son Philip later named the city Caesarea in honor of the emperor. So it is surely no coincidence that Jesus chose this pluralistic center of idolatry and nature worship with its competing claims to authority and truth as the place to pose to his disciples the question of his identity. And thus began the first ever game of family feud. 100 people surveyed top answers around the board. The question is, who is Jesus? One by one, the crowd's answers are put forth. John the Baptist, strike one. Elijah, strike two. One of the prophets, strike three. And so the disciples get their chance for the steal. As Jesus then turns to them and says, and what about you? Who do you say that I am? So the disciples all huddle together, and Peter says, ooh, ooh, pick me. I know, I know, pick me. 
So the disciples send Peter forward for the win, and the crowd holds its collective breath as Peter declares, you are the Messiah. Survey says, number one answer on the board. The crowd goes wild. Finally, for perhaps the first time in Jesus' entire ministry, the disciples have gotten something right. Unfortunately, the celebration doesn't last very long. For while the disciples are still high-fiving Peter, Jesus tells all of them to keep it quiet. He then goes on to tell them that he's going to undergo great suffering and be rejected by all the religious leaders, and he's going to be killed. And on the third day, rise again. And Peter, still buzzing with confidence from his great victory, says, Oh, no, Jesus, we'll never let that happen. And Jesus rebukes Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan, for you're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. How in the world did Peter go from hero to zero in the blink of an eye? How could he have gotten the answer right and yet still have clearly been so very wrong about Jesus? Apparently, Peter's vision is still a bit blurry. He does see Jesus, but Jesus might as well have been a walking tree. See, the problem was that Peter's understanding of the word Messiah was very different from Jesus' understanding. For first century Jews, Messiah was primarily a term about kingship and political power, about God's anointed king who would overthrow the Romans and establish God's messianic kingdom here on earth. And so when Peter claims that Jesus is the Messiah, he was probably having glorious visions of Jesus marching into Jerusalem to conquer and reign, with Peter as his right-hand man, of course. But when Jesus associates his Messiahship with suffering and rejection and death, He was saying something completely incomprehensible to the disciples. Who ever heard of a suffering and crucified Messiah? It was a contradiction in terms, kind of like a a lifeguard who can't swim. And it certainly didn't fit in with the disciples' self-serving dreams and agendas for Jesus. But they had their minds set on human things rather than divine things. And thus, they remained half blind. Truth is, our vision usually is not a whole lot much better than the disciples. When Jesus asks us, who do you say that I am? We may get the answer right. But what we 
see is often little more than a reflection of our own dreams and agendas for Jesus, which have been shaped more by the self-absorbed world around us than his word and his spirit. So like the disciples, we tend to hang around Jesus for what we think he can do for us, be it healing or happiness or success. We tend to view Jesus more as a tool for giving us a better life or as leverage for our political positions than as one who calls us to a way of life marked by sacrifice and humility and forgiveness and obedience as he calls us to take up our cross and follow him. We're no more interested in following a suffering Messiah than the disciples were. Now, we, we prefer to cash, on, cash in on his benefits from afar, inside the boat, in the shallow water, than commit to following him all the way. Now, we prefer the, the Galilean Jesus who performs wonderful miracles and who welcomes the little children and who talks about the lilies of the field than the Jerusalem Jesus who carries a cross. The words suffer, rejected, killed, no, they don't sit too well in our death-defying culture where we'll do just about anything to avoid pain or suffering or discomfort of any kind. Now, like Peter, we prefer a super messiah with muscles who will decisively refute all the atheists and the secularists, who will establish the superiority of our opinions and positions over all of our opponents and pass on a little of his glory and success to us and our nation. And somehow, we have found a way in our country to believe in a suffering and crucified Messiah who yet supports our violent and vengeful ways, our obsession with guns, our abuse of the environment, our sexual immorality, our self-serving individualism, our devaluing of human life, our racism and xenophobia, our political compromises, our biblical compromises, our demonizing and intolerance of anyone who disagrees with us, our neglect of the poor, and our raging greed. But when you have your mind set on human things rather than divine things, it's easy to get the answer right and still be so very wrong. You see, after 2,000 years, we still have a hard time understanding who Jesus is. Oh, we get that he's the Messiah. We just still don't get what kind of Messiah. For there's just something about this king who refuses to conform to the world's ways of thinking as he rules not from a sparkling throne or a white house, but from a splintery cross. And his triumph, his victory comes not through exercising his power like a weapon, but by laying it down. Not through imposing his will on others, but by becoming their servant. Not through destroying his enemies, but by forgiving them. Not through conquering, 
but through dying. And yet every time Jesus reminds his followers of this truth and that we too are called to lose our lives for his sake, we still say, oh no, Jesus, we will never let that happen. Like the blind man in Bethsaida, like Peter, our blindness can be very stubborn and difficult to cure. Despite Jesus' teaching and his constant challenging of our human, worldly, sinful ways of thinking, we continue to hold on to opinions and support positions and behave in ways that do not reflect the grace and the holiness and the justice and the lordship of Jesus Christ. It is so hard to let go of our self-serving images for Jesus and learn to see him as he truly is. It takes an enormous amount of humility and repentance on our part, and that can be a bit uncomfortable. Kind of like having spit rubbed in your eyes. And it always takes more than one treatment. In fact, it takes a lifetime of treatments. But that's why worship is so important and why we keep coming back to worship week after week after week because it is in worship that Jesus continues to lay his hands on our eyes so that our vision might become clear. Helen Keller once said, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. And our vision as the body of Christ grows out of our foundational belief that Jesus the Messiah is the Son of God and the Lord of heaven and earth who has purchased our lives at the cost of his own life. And that there's so much more to this life than just making money and going on vacations and accumulating achievements and followers on social media. No, we are here to serve Jesus and to participate in his life and ministry. But we've got to keep our eyes fixed on divine things. And be willing to follow Jesus wherever it is that he might lead us, even if it's uncomfortable. It's the only way we're ever going to learn to truly see him for who he really is and know him for who he really is. It's also the only way we're going to become the people and experience the life that we were created for. The question is, how far... Are you willing to go with Jesus in your life? Will you only hang out with him in Galilee? Looking for a miracle worker who can give your life a little boost? Will you march with him to Jerusalem following a would-be conqueror who can flex his muscles and display a little political power for you? Or will you go with him all the way to the cross into the deep water 
letting go of your agendas for Jesus and learn to see him as he truly is. The uncontrollable, often unpredictable, death-conquering, life-giving Messiah, Son of God, Savior of the world, who refuses to be the mascot for our political parties or the defender of our comfortable way of life, but who calls us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him into eternity where there is so much more life to be had than you know. All depends on how you answer Jesus' question. Who do you say that I am? There is no more important question than we will ever answer in our lives. And how each one of us answers it, not just with our lips, but with our lives, will determine just how well we are able to see. And it is only when we're able to see clearly that we will be able to fulfill our mission in life and become a vital part of the messianic kingdom of God that burst forth into this world when Jesus Christ walked out of his tomb. Because only those with clear vision are able to see it. After Easter, the disciples were finally able to see Jesus clearly and understand what it meant to worship and follow a crucified and risen Savior. And they stopped thinking about themselves. They put away their self-serving agendas and they became fixed on the things of God. And Jesus then used them to change the world. And if we will keep our minds fixed on Jesus and seek His will rather than our own, then He will continue to open our eyes as well. And use us in ways that you would never imagine. After all, it's amazing what you can do when your vision is clear. Amen.